Charlie Cottle. Charlie. Uh, yeah. 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 So good to see you out of the hospital. Uh, and then also we have Angelina here with us. Angelina. Right, well, it's good to be together. Amen. Amen. Well, there's a, I have some exciting news for you all. Uh, uh, we have one more week. And we are done with the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we've, we've been in the Gospel of Mark actually since January 7th, so almost a whole year. Um, and I think it's actually really exciting for us as a church to say, you know, we have, we have worked our way through every single verse, all the text of the Gospel of Mark. Um, it's, it's great when you preach through books of the Bible because there are topics and there are verses that you naturally would not want to talk about, but it forces you to talk about them. And, and we believe that all of Scripture, every verse, every chapter, every book, is given to you and given to me to equip us. So as confusing as things might be, we believe that the Lord wants the word to equip us and to encourage us and to challenge us. Amen? So we're going to be good, moving on. We're going to do an Advent series. I know all of you are like, when we're going to start some Christmas, we're going to be starting that in two weeks. And then we're going to take about three weeks to work through our mission statement. What does it mean when we say to know, love, and follow Jesus? And then the next book, so if you guys want to begin to read this or to look into it, the next book that we're going to tackle as a church is the book of 1 Thessalonians. So your exciting faces out there. Alright, it's a great book, especially when it comes to church planning. We're going to be uh, looking at that all the way until about Easter. Okay, well if you have your Bibles or your phones or anything, we're going to be in Mark chapter 13. How many of us here are people that like surprises? Here we got one. Exciting people here. We got a handful of people that like surprises. <laughs> it depends on what it is, right? Um, I remember uh, uh, when I was 23 years old, Alice and I had been married for about five months. And it was around my birthday. And on Friday at the end of the week, I get a phone call and she said, Go to downtown Dallas. At the certain train station. And wait for me. She didn't give me any details, no preparation, just whenever you get off work, go there and I'll be there. And so she pulls up around this time in her Jeep. I get in the car. And there's a blindfold waiting for me. 
Now I like to I like to play along, right? I like to be a good husband, so I put the put the blindfold on. I ask questions, there are no answers. And, and all of a sudden, with the blindfold on, I hear two other car doors open, and my best friend is also thrown into the car into the back seat. In Dallas, in downtown Dallas, car doors opening and you being blindfolded is just not something that's uh, always enjoyable. But for the next couple of hours, my friend and I were in the back seat of, of Allison's car while the two wives were driving, and we're completely blindfolded, have no idea where we're going. And, and I remember we're hearing conversations like, are you sure this is the right way? No, are you sure this is the right way? At one point, one of them gets out and actually asks someone if they are in the right state. And you see, Adam and I, all we could do was do our best to, to interpret their conversation, any type of sounds we hear, to know where are we at and where are we going. And I wonder if that's how many of us feel when it comes to the future. How many of us feel that we are just walking through life blindfolded and it's up to us to interpret you know, the news or interpret this to figure out where are we and where are we going? But I'm thankful that Jesus does not allow us to go through life like my wife made me go on that journey. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus gives us instruction and details so we can be prepared to live life faithfully until he returns. If you know anything about the gospel of Mark, you know that Mark chapter 13 is one of these chapters that can be really confusing. And so what I'd like to do is, is break up the chapter. We don't have time to cover all 37 verses. And so what I want to do is first tell us why are chapters like Mark 13 important for your life? Why are they important for us? When Jesus talks about the second coming, why is that important for you to know? Why is that important for us to talk about? And then I, I want to real briefly do a quick summary of verses 1 to 23 and give our interpretation of that text. And then we're going to spend the majority of our time in verses 32 to 37. So let's all take a big breath. We're going to dive in. Right. So why, why, is this, why, is this, why is this chapter important for you? Why is it important for us to talk about the return of Christ? Why 
When you look at books like Revelation and, and chapters like Mark 13, they are important for us because number one, they remind us that God is sovereign. When we look at the text today, what you're going to see is Jesus describing actual events that happened in history. This isn't like myth or fable, like Jesus is describing things that are going to take place at a specific time in a specific place. So this text in these books reminds us that God is a God who is outside of time, He knows the beginning from the end. Uh, the second thing is that. Can you help me out, Rashid, to the next one? Thank you. There are actually over 318 references to the second coming of Christ in the New Testament. I didn't know this, but one out of every 13 verses in your New Testament references the second coming of Christ. And so if, if that's something that the New Testament talks about a lot, we want to be a church that also talks about it. And the, and the final thing is, is books like this, chapters like this, are meant to bring you encouragement. That even though a lot of times these can be the center of controversy and argument, really Jesus said these things, God tells us these things, so we'd be encouraged and know how to live faithful lives. One pastor says this, he says that we want to shout what scripture shouts, we want to whisper what scripture whispers, and we want to be silent where scripture is silent. So that means that there are things when it comes to the second coming of Christ that scripture shouts. When it comes to the second coming of Christ, there are things that scripture whispers. He will come like a thief in the night. But then there are places where scripture is silent. Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour that I will return. And so that's what we want to do as a church. We want to shout where the Bible shouts. We want to teach what it teaches. We also want to be silent where it's silent. Okay, so really quick, we're going to look at verses 1 to 23. As you look at chapter 13, three parts. And this is our interpretation, and so there are going to be other interpretations that you might have. But verses 1 to 23, Jesus begins to prophesy about the destruction of the temple that actually took place in 70 AD. Begin in verse 24, Jesus begins to talk about his second coming. And 
And then, in, uh, and then as, uh, beginning in verse 28, he begins to give us instruction about how we should live lives in response to that information. Alright, verses 1 to 23, really quickly. If you look with me at verses uh, 1 to 4. Uh, Jesus says, it says that as he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings. Verse 2, Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left. All will be thrown down. 一节，耶稣从店里出来的时候，有一个门徒对他说：“老师，请看，这是多么美好的石头，多么美好的建筑。”耶稣对他说：“你看见这些伟大的建筑吗？将来并没有一块石头留在另一块石头上面，每一块都
前呢，他是很明确的在教导门徒们，你们看到这些事情，你们该怎么做 ？Verse two, Jesus said that not one stone of the temple is going to be left; all will be overthrown. 所以二节耶稣说到这些石头没有一块会留在另外一个石头上。In seventy A.D. 在七十年的时候 a, ，a Roman, uh, a Roman general. Named Titus, he came to Jerusalem, and they destroyed the temple. And they said that an archaeologist went back and they said if there was ever a prophecy that was fulfilled, it was this one. That there was gold in the blocks of the temple, and so the Roman army they they took all of the stones because they wanted the gold. That they couldn't even find some of the stones from the temple because they destroyed. Because 圣殿上面是有香金的，所以当他们要摧毁圣殿的时候，他们要取出石头缝中的这些金块。所以呢，这些石头没有一个是真的在另一个石头上。Look with me at verse fourteen. 十四节。When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, and, and Mark even says, "Let the reader understand," then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. 十四节说，当你们看见那造成荒凉的可憎者站在不该站的地方，甚至还有注解说到，读者必须明白这是什么。That, that what they say is that the only group of people that was not affected by this Roman siege in Jerusalem. Were the Jewish Christians? Now, the history also mentions that the only people that the early church took Jesus's directions, and in 70 AD they knew this was happening, and it says they fled to another countryside, and they were saved from the coming destruction of the Roman army. And so those tools and those ways are ways that we can say, okay, verses one to twenty-three really seem like all of those have been fulfilled. In 70 AD, when Titus came and destroyed the second, destroyed the temple. 有这些历史的记载，我们可以知道一节到二十三节，耶稣所讲的这个事件，就是讲到提多将军他来七十年的时候来摧毁耶路撒冷的圣殿。But now in verse 24, 那我们看到二十四节呢 ？Jesus begins to tell us about something else. 耶稣提到了别的事情。He says, "In those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not shed its light." The stars will be falling from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. That's verse twenty-four. You want to circle that because any time the Bible mentions that kind of language, it's referring to game over. Jesus is coming back. This world's come to an end. 到这样子的用字，或者是说辞的时候，其实是指到幕后的那个日子。So in verse thirty-two, okay. So 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 in verse thirty-two, okay. There are three things that Jesus wants us to understand. Number one, the Father knows all things. Number two, the Father is working through all things. And then finally, number three, 
that we are to be faithful until the end. So let's pray. We're going to jump into the text. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words. You've not left us blind. But you have given us your word. I pray that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged, that we would be moved. To trust you more. To take steps of faith more. And to stay awake, to be engaged until you come back. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, really quickly, let's work through these. Verse 32. Look at me, it says, Now, concerning that day, the second coming of Christ, no one knows. No one knows, Jesus says. So, in Greek, that word no one, when it says no one knows, it actually means no one. So no one knows. Now, now there are there are people all across the world who have tried to take their best shot at guessing this is the date when Jesus is returning. I don't know how many of you guys have heard of something like that. There's, there are people in America that prophesied three or four times that this is the exact date when Jesus is going to return and they've been made fools of because they've been wrong. In Taiwan, there was this group called The Way. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this group. It was a cult. And there's a man named Chen. And he prophesied on March 25th, 1988, that God was going to appear on an American television show. That the world was going to end. And the only way you could save yourself was buying your seat on a spaceship. That were disguised by clouds. Now these are two more kind of funny ones, funny examples of people trying to guess and trying to prophesy the exact date of Jesus' return. There have also been people who have lost their lives and given their lives because they've been deceived. That Jesus says it's clear. Only the Father knows the exact date, the exact time when Jesus is going to come back. He repeats this in Acts 1-7. He says, disciples, listen, I know you want to know a lot of things, but it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by His own Authority. And if you look at verses 1 to 23, Jesus begins to reveal some things about what's going to take place to his disciples, doesn't he? 
呃一节到二三节呢，耶稣他有很明确的告诉门徒，他们接下来会看见预见的事情。And as we look at scripture in places like Revelation, where God talks about the end of the world and the second coming of Christ, we have to ask the questions: Why does He tell us these things? 那你可以看到在启示录里面还有这样子的讲到主的日子的。Five times Jesus says, "I am telling you this, so you will not be deceived." Jesus, he has mentioned five times. Why am I telling you this? To let you not be deceived. That the Father reveals things to us, so we will not be led astray. That we won't be deceived. That we can continue to follow Him and obey Him. This is why He tells us these things. 经文里面会提到有那日子，还有这样子的呃文字，就是因为不希望我们被引导到误入歧途。Those of you who are parents, how do you, how often do you know that there are things that you should tell your kids that there's things that the kids should know, but there's also these things that your kids shouldn't know. 身为父母亲应该都知道，有一些事情你会希望你的孩子们可以知道，但有一些事情你是不需要他知道。Like if you're going on a trip, or you're moving, or you're going on vacation. There are things that it's good for your kids to know to prepare them for the change, to allow them to trust you and feel and feel stable, right? 有一些资讯是你要透露给孩子知道，让他可以预备好他的心，而且他能够就是预备好去改变。But there are also things that they do not need to know, right? 那有一些事情是小孩子其实不需要知道的。And as I look at this passage and I think about the words of Jesus, the heart of God is to tell you and to tell me. I have told you enough. I have told you what you need to know to trust me and to be prepared for that day and to live life faithfully. I've told you what you need to know. 我已经告诉了你，你应当知道这些讯息，所以你可以忠实的活出你的生命，直到那一天来。And so that means for you and me, when it comes to the return of Christ and the end of the world. 所以当你和我，当我们讲到这个主题，讲到世界的末了，或者是讲到主的再来。Our reliable source is the Word of God. That's what we trust. That's what we go to. 最可靠的资资料来源是在神的话语当中，这也是上帝给我们的。And where Scripture is silent, we just trust God that if He wanted us to know, He would tell us. 那当经文没有提到的这些讯息呢？我们就是要信靠神说，当神觉得我们当知道的时候，他就会显明给我们知道。But Jesus doesn't just say that God knows all things. 可是 ，He says God knows all things, but He also says something else. 耶稣提到就是上帝他无所不知哦，但他也提到别的事。Because it would be one thing to say, oh yeah, God knows everything. God knows all things. We believe that. 当然，我们可以这样说，上帝他什么都知道，所以我们也相信他。But God is also bringing history to pass. He is working through all things. He doesn't just know what's going to happen. He's actually making it happen. He's bringing things to pass. 神不只是就是呃知道会发生什么事情，他是使那些事情发生的神。他在历史上面来动工。Look at verse thirty-four. 我们来看三十四节。Jesus says in in response to living for that day. He says it's like a man on a journey who left his house. 就好像是一个人他去到旅去旅行外出。That Jesus is going to describe his relationship to the church, his people, you and me. 耶
And so how is God working through all things? How is God bringing things to pass? Through the church. If you look with me in Ephesians 3.10, one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. It says that God's multifaceted wisdom is now being made known through the church. To rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is an incredible text. This is actually the verse that called me and my wife into pastoral ministry that God is using the church to display his wisdom and his grace to the world around us. And if you look at this text, Jesus says, the man, which is God, which is Jesus the Master, he has a house. What he's saying is that you, church, are his possession. You are his people. He's not abandoned us, but we're his. If you look at chapter 13, who are the ones that are saved? Three times. Jesus says it's his elect. His elect people. His people are saved. His people are gathered. His people are given things, knowledge, and revelation. And, and don't let this word elect throw you off or make you think too much. The doctrine of election is meant to encourage and comfort you, it's not meant to be controversial. That Jesus is saying when everything goes down, when, when I come back and people are judged, who we want to be is we want to be a part of God's people. And so if you look at what this man does with his house in verse 34, as we wait for Jesus to return, what does he say he gave his people? Number one, he says he gave his church authority. That means power. That as we wait for Christ and as we encounter different things, Jesus says, I have given you authority and I have given you power. This word means power and authority, almost like this dynamite kind of power that Jesus has given us as the church. And so, and so no matter what happens in the world, uh, if there's suffering, if there's persecution, if the government takes rights away, the church is always going to be a powerful church because Jesus gives us our power. No one else does. And he's giving you this so that you can I you and I can do what he's called us to do. Verse 34, it says that he's given us authority. 
So you, as a disciple of Jesus, you have power and access to the power of Christ. But number two, it says he's also given us work. Amen. Work. He's given us like household chores, things that we're meant to do and a calling that we have. That every single one of you, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you have a calling over your life. Look at Ephesians, another Ephesians verse. Uh, Ephesians 2.10. Uh, Paul says that you and I, the church, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Uh, this, this word workmanship is the word that means poem. It's, it's the word that means poem. And, 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 and uh, it means poem. Like a poem. Yeah, like poem. Yes. Which that means, what Paul is saying to you is that God is, is masterfully and intentionally molding your life into who that He's called you to be. Um, um, that means that, 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 that every, every suffering, every victory, every joy, every failure, God is using all those things to mold you and make you into what He's called you to And so already what Jesus is telling us is God has not just, or God has not left history up to chance. He's directing and He's guiding it. He's not left history up to chance. But God has not left your life up to chance either. That He is working in you and, and directing and molding you into the person that He's called you to be. That you have a task, you have a calling. Now, as an early Christian, as, as an early, when I first got saved, there are two things that confused me the most. It was the search for the perfect spouse and the perfect calling. It was like this mysterious, like there's this perfect, you know, non-sinner person out here that's supposed to be my wife when I'm a huge sinner. And she's pretty close to being perfect. But but then there's also this like perfect calling, like like God's gonna speak to me or write the thing on the wall by an angel, and then I'm gonna know what I'm supposed to do with my life. But did you know that when you got saved, you were called? And I'm going to tell you what your calling is. You don't have to pray. You don't have to take personality tests. I'm just going to tell you what it is right here. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples. 
Your calling, the job that he's given us, the work that he's given us, until he comes back, is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And yet at the same time, there's a way that God has made you with your creativity, with your passion, what you're good at, your workmanship, right? And so one pastor says this. He says, whatever you're good at, number one, do it well for the glory of God, but do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. That where your passion, where your giftedness, where your skills line up with God's mission, God says, go and do that. That's what I've created you to do. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here. I know that many of you have already done this. Uh, it's like uh, they already they already know this. I know that a lot of people already know this. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, there, there are some of you who've moved, you've done intentional things with your work because you wanted to have the most impact for the for the lost, for the unreached, and for the mission of God. And so here Jesus tells us two things. He says God is working through the church. And he's given his church both authority and power. But also a task and responsibility. And, and I don't know about you, but I feel like I've been on the side where I've forgotten about the authority or I've forgotten about the task. And so maybe you're here and you're like, man, I know. Like, I know I have authority in Christ. I know that in my identity I have power from on high. But it's like all this nervous energy. You're like, well, I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and you just don't commit to anything. But I'll call you back. Whatever you're good at, whatever God has given you a passion for, do it to make disciples for the glory of God, and your life will be figured out for you. But then there are some of us here. You know the task. You know the work. But you forgot about the power. And so you're out here trying to make disciples and make disciples. You're trying to preach the gospel and you're growing weary because you're just doing the work and doing the job. What I love about the book of Acts is that when Jesus sends out the disciples to go evangelize the known world at that time, he tells them to wait. Do you remember what he says to wait for? The power of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus has given us the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what He's called us to do. When Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, 
He says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things that we lose when we parent or we lose in different situations. We're trying to get better at, right? I love that Paul says it's the fruit of the spirit. It's not the fruit of the Christian who tries just really hard. It's not the fruit of the Christian who just has self-control and just kind of, I'm just going to put my mind to it. That's not what he says there. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the work that God has given you to do and me to do to make disciples, it is the work of the Holy Spirit through your life. So some of us might just need to come back and say, I need to, I need to be reminded and, 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 and rely more on the Holy Spirit as I go to my job, as I go to my work, as I go to do evangelism. Jesus tells us that he says these things because he wants us to be faithful until the end. Honestly, Jesus wants you to be a person who finishes well. Uh, we've all heard stories and even recently of people, of Christians, of pastors who do not finish well. And Jesus says, I'm going to tell you something so you can finish well and be faithful until the end. Four times in these eight verses, Jesus says, Be alert. Wake up. Now, now this word to be alert, it means to be spiritually engaged. And so what Jesus says is that as the man goes on his journey, he says that's not an excuse for spiritual laziness. That as the man goes, as Jesus goes on the cross and he goes up into the clouds and tell his second coming, that's not an excuse for us to be lazy. But Jesus says it is a call for you to be alert, to stay engaged, to be faithful. Verse 35. Why do we need to be alert? Why do we need to stay engaged? Jesus says, because you don't know when the master of the house is coming back. You don't know when he's coming back. And I, and I love it because he says he can come in the morning, he can come in the evening, he can come tomorrow when the rooster crows. It's like any time of any day, he could come back to stay alert. So what Jesus says to you, what he says to me, is that what is meant to define our lives from the moment we say yes to Christ to the moment that we see him or he comes back is the master's orders. Is his mission, is his identity, is his call on your life. That is what's meant to define who we are and define what we do. Oh, sorry. I get into it sometimes, Angelina. All right. What is meant to define our lives is the master's orders. Yeah, you're doing a great job. Fantastic. Um, all right, so, so what Jesus says is that you and I, we need to stay engaged. 
Okay. And, and let's just be honest. There are things in your life that want to keep you out of the game. They want to trip you up. They want to take you out of the game. There are these things that want us to lull us to sleep and just get bored or passive with our faith. In Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews tells you, he says, he says, put away all sin. He says, put away all sin. Which I think for most of us we know that sin is gonna keep us passive and take us out of the game. But he also says, he says, remove any obstacle. Basically, anything, any good thing that's going to keep us out of the game or take away our love or passion for Jesus. And there are times, there's temptation to just say, you know what? I'm going to throw in the towel. There's just a temptation to like, I'm just going to give up. Have you guys ever felt that before? God, can I just have an easy life? Like, just let me have a normal job, make my money, be comfortable. I just, I'm tired. You know, when we lived in Pennsylvania, in America, it was cold all the time. And we had a pellet stove, which is a stove that sits in your fireplace and you have to constantly be putting in these, these things that keep the fire going. And I remember I would put an alarm on my phone in the middle of the night. Because if the pellets went completely out in the middle of the night, our house would go to like uh, like 10 degrees Celsius, maybe lower than that. Yeah. And what Jesus is saying here is that that's what we have to do. That when you feel like giving up, when you feel like throwing in the towel, when you feel your heart grow cold to the things of God, you run to that furnace. And you just start throwing in prayer, Bible reading, community. Like you are throwing that in because you know if you don't if you don't have that, it's easy to fall away. So Jesus says, stay alert because you do not know when he's going to come back. So two encouragements for you. Number one, do not grow weary. And doing good. You want to be faithful until the end. Jesus says, don't grow weary in doing good. Galatians 6 9. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. There is this call of perseverance for us, church. But even if you don't get results, even if there's not fruit, Jesus is saying, don't give up, don't grow weary. There will be a time, either on this side of eternity or in heaven, when you will reap fruit. Just 
Um, you know, I think about all the sports teams right now who have to play games with like no one watching. I mean, how are that? But you still have to go out on the court or on the field, play as intense, play the game, execute it when there's no crowd and no one's watching. And that's what Jesus is calling for us to do. No matter what, when there is visible proof, when no one's watching, when there is success, keep doing what I've called you to do. Do not grow weary in doing that. But then finally, the second encouragement. The one, one of the ways that we stay faithful and stay alert until the end. Is by spending most of our time doing what most of Scripture talks about. Which is evangelism and making disciples. You know, one of one of uh, Alice and I's first arguments came at uh, before our wedding. And it was it was who we're going to invite to our wedding. I don't know how, if, you've if you're married, you probably went through this, but it's like if we invite this person, you have to invite this person. Or it's like, man, if, if, we, if we invite them, they're going to sit here, but we can't sit them next to this person. And so, like, there's this limitation on who you can even invite to your wedding because you're afraid of people's feelings, right? The Bible describes heaven, God's kingdom, like a wedding banquet, like a wedding party. And guess what? There are no limitations to how many people you can invite. Go and invite as many people as you can. The way that we stay faithful until the end is we continue to invite people to this wedding party, the kingdom of God, the good news of the gospel. And so what we have here are these uh, really fancy flyers we made for our Christmas service. And we print off 300 or 500 of these. And I want you to take some this afternoon. And I want you to write down the names of people that don't know Jesus that you know you need to invite to church. You need to invite to this Christmas service to hear the gospel. Because this is a wedding party we do not want people to miss. And so my question for you is have we spent most of our time Doing the things that Jesus tells us to do. You know, it's funny that in just the next chapter, the disciples fall asleep when Jesus tells them to stay awake. You know, here's the truth. Is that none of us are going to be able to live this out faithfully. 
There are moments of weakness. There are moments of weariness. But the Bible tells us that even when we're faithless, He still remains faithful. And so guys, what I want to encourage you with today is when it comes to the return of Christ, Jesus has given us something so much better than a map than a dictionary of terms to interpret stuff from. He's given us himself. Matthew 28. He says this to us. He says, remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. To the end of the age. All right, let's stand, church. Let's respond as the worship team comes up. I'm encouraged by what Jesus says to us here.